Okay, welcome to Secret Women's uh, Business Podcast. The podcast is for women and it's about women. It's a place where curiosity meets answers. And today we're lucky to have a very special guest, Amanda Thebe, um, uh, founder and CEO of Fit and Chips. I love that name. Uh, she's here to help us navigate and understand how to cope with the hell called menopause or perimenopause where I am right now. So thank you so much for being here and taking the time, Amanda. I um, as we were just talking, you, it, you've got the jet lag, but you still managed to uh, give us the time and come on the on this uh, call. So I really appreciate that. Um, hi, Geordie, and hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Uh, we polled the audience, and we've got a lot of questions for you. But first, I really want to introduce you to the audience. So uh, the ladies watching or listening right now will... Um, they need to hear what you have to say and they, and this will help them understand that you know what you're talking about. So I've got my piece of paper here. Um, so Amanda is a force of nature for women who are experiencing menopause, hell and want to start feeling healthy and fit in their forties and beyond um, with over 20 years experience in the fitness industry. Over 20 years is a long time. Um, she's highly regarded expert on women's fitness and health. Uh, popular guests on podcasts and online summits, Amanda brings refreshing humor and no-nonsense approach to subjects usually shrouded in shame. I just love the pictures on your um, <laughs> Facebook group and on I'm your... I'm very bold, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. Um, uh, through your frank articles, hilarious social media posts and inspirational and entertaining talks, um, Amanda continually uh, continues to inspire loyal readers of her web website, Fit and Chips. Um, Amanda's wor works, workouts and fitness tips have been featured on Shape, Prevention, Healthline, Global News Canada, Lifehacker, Breaking Muscle, Girls Gone Strong and Ultimate Sandbag Training. Her adoring, her adoring fans rather and clients have called her the resilient bitch and an unstoppable inspiration with one woman naming her the over 40 guru to watch and we'll be very lucky to have her time right now. So um, yes, I'm definitely fangirling on you right now. Um, and we've got some burning questions, like I polled the audience and we put some questions together for you. So um I just want to do some quick housekeeping, if you don't mind. Okay, this is great. Yeah, you do that, and then let's get stuck in, Jordi. Okay. So for people who are listening on podcasts, if you'd rather see our hands flapping around and faces, you can jump on over to YouTube, and you can watch it there. And if you're on YouTube and it's distracting, um, my hands flapping, because I tend to flap my hands, as I always say, you can jump over to the podcast and listen there. Um, the links are below. Um, so I just want to jump straight into it. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Let's do it. Right. So I really wanted to know about your journey. I always find it really interesting why people get into what they're doing. Why menopause? What made you focus on this topic? Yeah. So it was like handed to me on a plate, basically. It was one of those one of those situations where I already had sort of a pretty established audience in the fitness and wellness industry, because I'm a bit long in the tooth. It's 20 years I've been doing this, but really probably about five years of focused like growth of my business. So, you know, and I'm pretty real and authentic. I don't try and sell something that it isn't. I just like to be very honest with 
people, women especially, tend to follow me. And, you know, you attract like for like um, people, right? So the people that were following me tended to be like mums at school who were in their 40s, 50s, had children, were balancing career, marriages, aging parents, you know, the usual, right? I fit into a, a specific category and, and I think women liked to follow me because I was like, yeah, I see you, I hear you, I'm one of you, I'm nothing different. And um, what happened is I started to get very unwell um, in about 2013 when I, was, I turned 43, I started to not feel myself and I I sort of went into my 40s a bit of a smug bitch you know like I was fit and I was healthy and I was like rocking it I had the abs and the guns out and I wasn't a big show off or anything but I was like I've got this aging business nailed like I know and I know that people would reach out to me women and say what what's your secret what do you do and um, anyway, and then I just started to get unwell and it sort of spiraled out of control with multiple visits to hospitals and doctors and nobody joining any of the dots of all of the different symptoms I was experiencing that would directly impact in the, my quality of life and the quality of life of everyone around me because I was slowly like crumbling and it was it was a terrible time. Um, fortunately, a couple of years later, I saw a gynecologist who realized what it was straight away and sort of said, you're in perimenopause now. And, and he said, how many hot flashes have you had? And I was like, F you, I'm too young to go into perimenopause. <laughs> I had these, I had these preconceived ideas of what menopause or peri, I haven't actually heard of the word menopause perimenopause I have to be completely frank I'd only ever heard of the word menopause and I just said I'm too young like I'm 45 at this stage I'm too young to be in um, menopause he went no you're in perimenopause and it's the time leading up and we were going to talk about that Um, and so thus became the start of my learning experience Um, I then wrote this article on my own blog and I think I called it the shite that nobody tells you about perimenopause and I just vented. I just was like, I hate life. I hate all the doctors. I hate all of you because nobody told me this was happening. And, and it was filled with a little bit of humor. But the, the underlying message was why, was, why isn't anybody talking about this? Why are we in the dark? This is just yeah. crazy. Um, and so then I uh, realized that, you know, feelings of complete isolation and a lot of depression because neurological symptoms are pretty significant in perimenopause made me realize that I needed to talk to people about this. So I started a Facebook group and I know we'll talk about that later. Um, and I just sort of invited the people who commented on my article and just said, come over, let's talk. And that's the purpose of the group. You know, it's not a sales group or anything like that. It literally yeah. is a community. And it just went crazy because women were just desperate to find a place where they could say, is this normal? Is this right? Is, am I going crazy? Um, and, it, and that's sort of where it's all started from. And then, of course, um, to, um, moving forward to today, you know, since then, I've, I have a podcast. Actually, I've just shelved the podcast for a while just while I'm working on other projects. But I've had access to some amazing experts in the field of menopause, of psychology, of fitness, nutrition, um, that I've been able to access and I've access to lots of studies as well. So I've pulled a book together, which will hopefully be out next fall. And it's just a very real account of what women should expect. You know, no, it's no like magic pill, no, no special diet. 
it's not because it, that doesn't work, right? I, I keep it very real and factual and yeah. fun, hopefully. So that's where I, so that was my menopause journey. I never expected me to be sort of the person speaking about menopause. And I don't know that I love that I'm that person, but you know, I'm literally putting my vagina on the line for women. I'm just like, ah, whatever. This is, <laughs> this is it. This is it. <laughs> I love it. Um, I really love um, your stuff and uh, the humor that you put into it because I mean, like what you were, what you were um, describing was me. I was fit. I was healthy. I had abs. I had a life. And I went from that to nothing laying on the couch, no life, no nothing, put on 30 kilos. I struggled to even get up and walk around. And if I have one more person that says to me, just go for a walk, I'm going to stab them in the face. <laughs> because yeah. when you're exhausted, you're exhausted, you're on the couch. The last thing that you can actually do is anything physical. So it's not helpful, people. <laughs> I read it. I read this book recently, um, and it was nothing to do with menopause, but it was talking about depression. It's called Normal People. It's a brilliant book by this Irish writer, and she, it was one of the characters in the book had depression, and he fell asleep on the bedroom floor. Well, he didn't. He fell on the bedroom floor and was lying there, unable to get from the toilet to the bed and make the full journey, thinking to himself, well, all that's going to happen when I get to the bed is I'm going to be lying there and doing nothing. I might as well just lie and do nothing here. And I just think I just summed, it summed it up so well. I just thought, oh my gosh, I completely resonate with that because the depression and the fatigue took hold of me so badly that there'd be days where the only reason I got out of bed is because I had children I had to take to school. Then I would just go straight back home and just hide and not be able to function, not even to walk, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, and I think unless you're going through it, you know, you just don't get it. And I've, I've lost friends over it because, you know, I was the life of the party and then all of a sudden I don't go to the party um, and I can't uh, stay long at it. You know, if I go out for dinner, I can't stay and drink all night like, uh, you know, we used to and people take it so personally and um, they think that you're ditching them um, and they don't really kind of understand. And even this comes from women as well who have gone through perimenopause or menopause. And I feel like um, sometimes they don't believe you that the symptoms that you're having, I um, even had one friend that would ask her clients what they were going through. Uh, I don't know whether to test whether I was being honest or truthful, but then, you know, like when I went into your group, I can see that there's hundreds of other women experience exactly what I was. And I, you know, I had to try and find answers myself. And, um, you know, I found that, you know, all this time I was thinking it was adrenal fatigue and was healing, trying to heal my adrenals, you know, which I understand is responsible for producing some hormones as well. Um, and going down that path and then wondering why I'm still kind of not getting there. Look, it really helped. But now I understand that it's perimenopause and, I mean, I searched for answers for years and no one can help you. No one knows. So, I mean, there's, there's some common myths around um, menopause and, and perimenopause. So I just want to kind of ask you about that. What are the, some of the common myths around um, either yeah. the two? I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch. There's tons and tons and tons. I mean, one of the, I think the first ones I would talk about is age. Like, I mean... Mostly you would look at URI and 
not typically expect a woman like us to be in perimenopause. I'm in full menopause. I'm postmenopausal. I went through it on the early side of average, but it was within the age range. I recently did a talk at a fitness convention. There was 400 people there, most of them young 28-year-old trainers. And I put a picture up of a 32-year-old woman, myself, age 43, and then Helen Mirren when she was 73. Um, and just said, which one of these women is in menopause? And they only expected the Helen Mirren to be um, in in perimenopause, in menopause, and I just said, no, all of us are, because you can have um, premature um, ovarian insufficiency, and that's just premature menopause. That can happen before the age of 40, where some women go completely into full menopause, meaning they don't no longer have um, a period. Um, one in 1,000 women go through that. Wow. It's not insignificant. Um, of when they've done polls and studies um, of women in, in menopause, there will be 75% of women who go through menopause will have symptoms that alter their quality of life. 75%, so it's not hundreds, it's millions. Yeah, well, yeah, well. And, of, and of those 75%, 25% will have some that will impact their lives severely, um, some to the point of suicide. It's not to be laughed at. It's not to be taken trivially. And honestly, if I had friends that judged me and didn't understand me, if they were, I would possibly try to have a conversation to say, you know what, I'm actually struggling and um, I need help. I need your help by you understanding and, and, and just giving me a pass now and again, I'm trying my best. And if they don't understand that, then I go be off with them. Because I just think that one of the realizations of menopause for me is that it's really helped me realize how important it is to surround yourself with really valid people that don't suck the life out of you. Yeah. Um, so one of the myths, so the, so the first myth, going back to that, sorry, because I do, I'm a bit of a Tommy tangent. I'll think I'll go around the houses is age. I think that knowing that um, you can go into um, perimenopause in your late thirties, early forties, and you need to know about it then. You don't need to know about it when you're knee deep in the thick of it. So my like thing is I want all women to know, even if they don't want to know, I want to give them at least some heads up about it. Um, and the average age for women in full menopause is um, like the day the period sort of stop is um, 51 in North America. I don't have any stats for Australia, New Zealand. Um, and then you're in post, then you're in post menopause until you die. Yeah. So this, this is another, one of the other myth, myths is that menopause is just the day that your period stop and you might just have a few hot flashes. And it's such an oversimplification of what actually happens. It just frustrates the life. I mean, I don't know how to unpack that. But know that as soon as you're considered postmenopausal, maybe some of your symptoms will um, calm down. There's going to be some symptoms that will constantly need to be managed for the rest of your life. It's often it's neurological symptoms, some of the vasomotor symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, cold sweats like cold flashes um, and vaginal atrophy. Vaginal atrophy will not go away and it will stay with you. So if you're experiencing incontinence, constant UTIs or, or urinary tract infections, um, vaginal dryness, 
anything along those lines, you have to get on top of that shit because you're just going to be in agony. Like if your sex life is impacted because you're too dry, then there's solutions out there and you don't need to suffer. And so one of my um, real focuses that I'm trying to show to women is that once we start this journey, it doesn't end. And there's certain things we can do that make us stronger and more resilient going into this third half of our life. Because I feel we have like the puberty, the, the in-between bit where we might get pregnant and then the post-menopausal stuff. And, um, and it can be a time of rapid, great improvement and change because we're faced with ultimate challenges that we never expected, I think we get a lot of growth from that. But yeah. it can be bloody hard too. I nearly said the F word then. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. We can bleep it out if we need to. <laughs> don't bleep me. Don't bleep me. Let me live my dreams. Okay. So, um, and then maybe one of the other... Um, one of the other myths as well is I always, I, I think I said, I, I've written the book and one of the, I talk about myths and then I'm like saying that the only symptoms are maybe mood swings and hot flashes. And I think I, my words are, that's bullshit. I literally have symptoms falling out of my vagina because there are so many. I literally, I know one of the questions you want to ask me about what are symptoms. Yeah. I think my symptom lists are now up to like 40, 45, 50. It's insane. But we yeah. can talk talk about that in general. Uh, yeah, so that I think, you know, that kind of falls into the myths as well. Like I think a lot of people, what, what gets uh, like me riled up is that one, we don't know about this stuff. Um, it's not talked about, um, you know, like women forever have had perimenopause, menopause. Why? I've never heard of perimenopause before. So... Um, it wasn't until I started researching and then finding there's not a lot of information out there. Um, and then I've, I came across you, which is great. And then the other thing is the symptoms, like even a lot of women don't understand what the symptoms are. So maybe you can shed some, like I met, you mentioned some just now, but there's so much more, isn't there? Yeah, there's so much more to um, perimenopause than than we can even imagine. Like it literally is, it literally is crazy how many symptoms that women report and are acknowledged by the medical community when they understand that we're in perimenopause. Now, I think it might be worth just clarifying perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause just for the sake of conversation. And if I'm talking to you and you completely understand what I'm talking about, then go and make your cup of tea now while I just... So perimenopause literally means the time leading up to menopause. So the time um, from when symptoms start until um, you stop having your period for a a duration of 12 months. Um, And that can last anywhere between eight and 10 years. I had it for the... like. 10 years I actually think it was a little bit longer in because retrospect's wonderful isn't it we can go back and go ah that probably was the start of it but what initially were annoying symptoms weren't and weren't life altering you know exacerbated and got worse Um, and then we have this like line in the sand literally a, a snapshot that says you're in menopause you no longer have your periods and now you are now considered from this day forward postmenopausal. And for the sake of the topic today, let's just say menopause, it just gets easier to do. But um, yeah, menopause is literally just the time when your periods stop. And that's a really hard thing to even understand as well, because like 
your periods might stop and start and come and go, or you might be on hormone replacement therapy, or you might be on the pill and you don't know when your actual periods are. So you just tend to, and, and there is some blood work that can be done, but a lot of the medical professions don't particularly think it's necessary because symptoms are speak a lot louder than blood work which again is often just a snapshot in time um because obviously our hormones fluctuate um and different things happen at different stages of um those um three periods so you've got perimenopause which is typically the most symptomatic time for a woman it's when most of the symptoms will show their heads because we have progesterone that's on this like big path downwards progesterone really is only there to help us have a valid birth right pregnancy so we need and then when we no longer need that then progesterone will will fall and estrogen does the wiggly line down up up and down up and down up and down and up and down and i i want to say um and as i as you know i'm forthright i really have no time for um claims out there that say things like you can do this for hormone balancing or you can do this to balance your hormones because that's not how hormones work hormones work in your body like a thermometer they regulate themselves they'll constantly try to regulate themselves and there's no no amount of flaxseed and soya beans you can eat that are going to impact your sexual hormones doing what nature needs them to do and that's eventually decline um and so what can help with a lot of the symptoms is um some lifestyle things, which we'll talk about, hormone replacement therapy, which I hope women by now are not scared about because there's enough literature out there to show us that we, it's very sophisticated, it's safe um, for almost all women. There'll always be some women that can't take them, but there's also other things that they can do to help. Um, so the most, tip, the most typical time for the symptoms tends to be perimenopause. Um, and we'll talk about some of those symptoms. Menopause is obviously the time um, when estrogen, it's out here, progesterone's out here, and we're like, we're like barren women, and it's the end of our reproductive years. Some women feel a big loss then as well. You know, it, for some, I personally can't, couldn't wait because I would had enough, but I understand that women do feel a loss, and it makes sense to me. You know, that's it, no more children. And um, it's now time to go into postmenopause, um, which you know, when we look at happiness scales and things like that, it shows that women post-menopause seem to be the happiest they ever are in life. We've got this like sage-like quality about us that makes us like just so friggin' zen. It's amazing because we've suffered so much that we are then ready for anything, I think. But um, health issues can arise post-menopause, especially for those women that aren't taking hormone replacement therapy because estrogen um, isn't just a sex hormone. Sex, uh, estrogen is a, a hormone in our body that has receptors everywhere. We have them in our brain and our joints. And, um, and that's why women, and, and somewhere sometimes in, also in our intestine, which sometimes show women, show women get lots of bloating and irritable bowel and stuff. So you've got aching joints, you've got cognitive stuff happening. Um, and um, those usually die down as the hormones starts, start to calm down themselves. But estrogen also protects the heart. Estrogen also is integral to our bone health. And it's also integral to our brain health. So we've got... Um, problems that start to occur post-menopause like Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, um, and um, 
sometimes our hot flashes stay there. You know, we can continue to have those as well as things like heart disease. I mean, that's our biggest killer in women is heart disease and um, postmenopause. So there's real big health implications that women have and, and, and there's things that they can do from a lifestyle perspective to assist with, you know, like fighting those things. We can live long, healthy lives with those different um, um, combinations of like um, different treatment options that we can take and lifestyle factors as well. Yeah. Um, going back to the, God, I can talk, I know, sorry, but going back to the perimenopause. So perimenopause, I, I mean, I literally in front of me have three pages of symptoms, which would serve as no purpose to, to read out. But what I will talk about are some of the most common ones and maybe mention a few of the less common ones. Um, and um, women can maybe identify with some of them. I mean, so irregular periods are, are going to be up there and that can go from like having no periods to having them weekly to having ones that last for weeks and weeks on end. I just call it period roulette. Do you or don't you take a tampon out with you today? I mean, who knows? Just take it. <laughs> but then along with um, this time, we can see a lot of um, issues with vaginal atrophy. And vaginal atrophy literally happens because estrogen receptors are in the whole vulva vagin vaginal area. And when estrogen starts to decline, we can see the integrity of that whole area start to go and that can cause us to have stress and urinary urge, urge incontinence so we pee our pants and um, dryness um painful sex constant um urinary tra tract infections and they seem to happen a lot a lot of women seem to struggle with them sleep problems from insomnia to utter fatigue that doesn't um doesn't lift once we've slept you know that just stays with you um and then, and then other things like um, fatigue, anxiety, short-term memory loss, um, you know, loss of sex drive. My libido has fallen off the planet. And if someone can find it, I would love it back. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, there's a whole psychological feelings like loss of self-confidence, invisibility, and isolation, which I think are, are huge for me. They're huge. And then some lesser-known symptoms that women might relate to are things like it's really interesting because I've always had really sharp hearing. My hearing started to be affected. And I thought that, that's not perimenopause. We have receptors of estrogen all over our body and it can be impacted. Our hearing and um, tinnitus, women start to get tinnitus, their allergies, their histamine response changes, tingling extremities, palpitations, bleeding gums. And then there's this thing called formication, not fornication. Um, <laughs> Formication and it and it's a, a tingling skin sensation wow. where it feels like insects are running all over you and um, and you know so there's um there's so many I mean it goes on and on forever but the list is exhaustive and if you go to your doctor and you don't know what's wrong what I would say to you is this there are um, menopause scales that you can download like a checklist. If you Google menopause checklists, you can find them. And basically, you can. there's one in Australia, um, and I can actually send you the link, Jodie, so that people can have this. And, and we'll add it to the comments. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's one in Australia. It's great. And you can print it off. And literally, it's just like the, it's like the depression chart you get. Like, do you have this symptom? Do you have this symptom? And it's you check them all. And it's a really great indicator for your GP to go and just say, yep, you, you're ticking the majority of these boxes. You might get some of them, you might get none of them. I mean, it really depends on yeah. you. Um, and, and it's, 
usually more accurate to do it that way than any other way. You don't need to do saliva testing or blood testing. It's just really not necessary unless the doctor thinks there's something else underlying. And then you, clearly you need to get that checked out. Yeah. But if you're within the age range and you're experiencing these symptoms, I'm going to put a bet on that you're in perimenopause. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I've done all the blood tests and the saliva tests and all those kind of things. But the thing is, like you said, we go in a cycle through the month. So, you know, my estrogen count was in the 2000s and then the next time it's like 140. So, um, Jodi, our estrogen levels can change by the minute, by the hour. Yeah. It's why the most of the medical, and I, you need to know that I fall heavily on the side of Western medicine and saliva tests aren't even considered accurate there they would never use them and blood tests they will use in situations where they they want to like check for other things maybe some thyroid issues or it might just be that you're in a, a, a stable situation where they can do a blood test but it could change in a heartbeat literally yeah. yeah and they and and just on that thyroid so you know it all kind of connects together so your um hormone production your adrenals your thyroid and your pancreas and all of it can be all affected by each other so you could be taking thyroid medication when really it's something else it could be perimenopause um and then once you start taking that stuff um you're stuck taking it you can't really get off it um well my, well my my um advice then is then don't go to google don't ask your friends go and see an expert yeah. If you if you have got thyroid issues, you're seeing an endocrinologist anyway. You have to go and see them. You can't guess. Like yeah. you, it's just not worth it. Like your health is too important to just take chances. Just go and speak to someone who knows what they're talking about. In Australia, they have menopause specialists. Yeah. You can go and find one and just see. Go and speak to someone who knows what they're talking about instead of guessing. That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, so I think. For a lot of the women, they were asking about weight. So weight gain is a huge issue around this time. And trying to lose any weight at all is can be impossible. What, what um, tips or ideas or what can we do? Um, how can we help this? Is there anything... Or do mm. we just go, yep, this is how it is? No, <laughs> it absolutely, was. absolutely not. So... <sighs> It's not going to sound very nice when I say this, but menopause doesn't make you fat. It doesn't, right? But everything surrounding it makes it really, really hard to stabilize your weight. So I put weight on. So I'm talking from experience. I'm a very small person. I only put on 10 pounds, but my weight had never changed in my life. And, 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 and 10 pounds oh, pound is what, five kilos, six kilos. And that might not seem like very much. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound like, I don't know. I'm not trying to dismiss anybody else's, but it, for me, it was significant and, um, and I couldn't understand why. And I needed to know what was going on. So there's a couple of things that are working against you. And it's worth understanding some of these because a level of acceptance and education about these topics can really help the whole process feel manageable, right? So first of all, when our estrogen and progesterone levels are falling, there's going to be a time when we're going to be somewhat testosterone um, 
like not positive, but like relative, have a relatively higher testosterone. And it doesn't mean we get more testosterone, but we all have it already. But as that doesn't really change that level, our progesterone and estrogen fall, there's going to be a time eventually where you're going to be in a, in a position where the testosterone is there. We, it makes it, and we'll see, um, this in a physical shape shifting way. So you'll see women go from that typical pear shape to more of an apple shape. And that's usually a big thing for women. They're like, nothing fits me. It's all too tight around the belly. And it often is just their physical shape has changed. And if you look at older women, you often see older women with rounder bellies and skinny little legs. It's sort of what happens when estrogen falls. So you're not going to be able to do a lot to fight that. So what, what I was saying about the acceptance thing is let your body do some of the stuff it's meant to do. It's a pretty smart thing and it knows more. It, it, it knows what it's doing. So let, let it do some of that. But what also happens as well is that estrogen will try to be um, produced in your adipose tissues in your belly. And it's not very significant, the amount that it produces, but the body will try and produce some from there. It's a metabolically active fat. So it's quite smart, right, that it can do that. Um, and so um, you do need to have an element of fat on you for some good hormonal health naturally like the body wants to do that but when is too much too much right because we also know that women who have a high waist ratio and have too much belly fat are complete candidates for heart disease so we have to like find the balance somewhere and then and then in addition to that i've already told you that decline in estrogen can impact your like your bowels like we go around farting like old like granddad who's eating too many sprouts at Christmas, right? And there's a lot of bloating happens. And I don't know if you noticed that personally, but I did. Like, oh, and, it wasn't, and it wasn't just, and, and the, the way to sort of see if blo- it's bloating or fat is sort of it goes everywhere. You know, like your boobs and maybe yeah. your fingers and your hands and, and your belly. And so the bloating would, will, can subside on its own, but it can also be helped by like some of the foods that might aggravate it and stuff. So that's a little bit of a self-experiment you, you need to do. So, so while menopause doesn't like actually cause weight gain, there's all of these preceding factors that make it bloody hard to lose weight. And then what else happens? You and I have just admitted we lie on the floor because we can't move. Yeah. So we become less active. Yeah. We also, when we're depressed and when we're down, we also tend to want to crave really shitty food. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, we're grabbing for the chips more than ever. We're eating more cakes than, than we yeah. usually do. And, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that inherently. It's just that when it's not meeting your nutritional goals or your weight goals, if you have them, then something's got to change, right? And so I just think for women who gain weight, be completely honest with yourself. That's the first thing I would say because you probably are overeating. We're typically bad at estimating our food yeah. as humans. There's a million studies that will back that up. You know, when you say to someone, show me a cup of rice, they'll show you two cups of rice. It's usually 50, 100, oh, 1.5 cups of rice. You know, it's usually a, a minimum of 50% overestimation. So, you know, it, we definitely need to eat less. We're not as metabolically efficient as we were. So your metabolism's going to slow down a little bit, but that's not hugely significant. I mean, that starts to fall in our thirties downwards and it might be a difference of like 
200 or 300 calories, which isn't very much. It's yeah. a Snickers bar, right? But you know, we, so we can't blame it on your sluggish metabolism unless you have a sluggish metabolism and then you're seeing an endocrinologist because it's something else, right? So, um, so you've got all of these factors like that are making it really hard for you to lose weight and you're tired and you're not sleeping well. You've got insomnia, so stress levels are high. Yeah. And, then you, and then you'll try a fad diet and you'll start starving yourself and your body will then say to yourself, itself, well, okay, so you're starving yourself, so we're about to die. Maybe I should store more fat because yeah. that's, what, that's what's required from an evolutionary standpoint. So often how I start with women who want to lose weight is just is that conversation. Be honest, like really, really honest. Because yeah. you, if you say you're doing absolutely everything, I would just actually write it down. Spend two weeks writing down without judgment never judge yourself, write down everything you're eating accurately and just be honest and look at it and go, yeah, all right. Okay. That, those two glasses of wine, you know, I had a client once who couldn't lose weight, couldn't work out why had two glasses of wine every night and never told me that's a bottle and a half of wine a week and she <laughs> couldn't lose weight. I mean, it's significant. I had another client I worked with who I believe was doing almost everything that was entirely possible to lose weight, but she was in a high stress environment at work. She was literally on all the time and she never got the uh, uh, cortisol levels down at all. And so, you know, when you're working against what the body naturally wants to do, it's going to make it difficult. So manage your stress, get, yeah. try and focus on really healthy sleep because studies prove that you can lose weight when you sleep yeah the walk that you don't want to take is is going to help you with your weight loss yeah. people who move every day are more likely to have you know healthy outcomes with weight loss yeah. and steer clear of fad diets when pe people i know you tried keto and you had some success but things like keto intermittent fasting while they do work for some women the um, underlying thing that helps women lose weight is that it puts you in a calorie deficit. Yeah. And the science of nutrition tells us, the laws of thermodynamics tell us that the only way to lose weight is to eat less than you use. Yeah. Right? You maybe not need to use as much as you did before because you're maybe not as active as you were or you, you know, like your stress levels are too high, all of those different factors. So yeah. um, it's... Um, and so how do you do it? So write it down, have an honest look at where you are and then change one thing or two things yeah. for two weeks. I'm a huge proponent of habit-based learning because habit-based learning means that it stays with you. Yeah. And it can, it can be, it, yeah, if that's you, what if you're doing the never diet again program, yeah. that's how yeah, we and, start it is the, we do actually an emotional food diary in that program. So it's not just perfect. what you eat, it's how you're feeling at the time and, um, exactly. help people change habits and behaviors. Um, you know, like that's what hypnosis can do. It can help you change habits and behaviors. And it's kind of similar to what you're saying is, you know, hypnosis doesn't make you uh, lose weight. You know, it doesn't melt fat, but it helps you change habits and behaviors that can help you lose weight and change your lifestyle. So I get what you're saying there with the habits and behaviors and also being honest with what you're eating and um, trying to stay under that calorie de deficit. But can you also be not eating enough? Can that also cause a problem? Because I, I, I tend to eat like a sparrow at times 
and I feel like I'm not having enough as well. Uh, the jury's out on that. I mean, you can, um, you, it's really hard to, to lie, uh, to argue with the science, but there is um, some evidence to show that women through perimenopause especially have less of a tolerance for coping with stress and our insulin response changes. And, due, and because of that, there is a good chance that if you're not eating enough, you're going to start to hold on to body fat. It's not going to use the food that you're eating efficiently. Um, most people who think they're over under eating usually aren't. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that in a dismissive way. I'm just trying to be very frank because usually doing like a, a food diary and, and, and thinking you don't eat very much, but maybe not making the most nutritionally balanced choice. Yeah. Like, um, if you only had four or five like crackers and cheese like throughout the day, I mean, it's not going to be enough nutritionally. It's not going to be enough to fill you. But you could have also had like a salad with that. Or, you know, I mean, I, I don't need to go down into the deep, deep nutrition of this, but I just feel as though um, no, we don't always eat what we think we're eating. Is, yeah. But, but, the, but the under eating, I mean, it's, it comes up time and time again. A great person to um, follow on nutritional stuff for women is Dr. Stacey Sims. She's actually based in New Zealand. Um, she's an American based in New Zealand. She studies the female um, physiology yep. and the psychological responses and physiological responses to exercise and nutrition. Yep. Um, she hates keto and intermittent fasting because of the, because of the perceived starvation mode your body goes into. Yep. It's just the starvation mode is, your, is a body's response to something. So it might be that you've missed breakfast. Yeah. And you've got and you've and you've done a, a fasted workout. That's probably not optimal for your body in perimenopause. It isn't optimal for your body. I find that things like how you were before, like if I kind of ate all that weight like that my whole life, and you know I was always tiny, um, and still continue that kind. Of, it doesn't. It's not the same as you get older and you're going into perimenopause. Um, what you did before doesn't necessarily work now. It's it's just um, you know because there are all the changes I don't know why, um, but it, you know it just seems to be like I'm eating like I used to, but now I'm gaining weight from that. So I think you like you're right. You need to go and back and have a look at um, what you're doing and completely change that. And I think that's where it gets difficult is because if you have a lifetime of eating a certain way and then you want to change that, that's not going to happen overnight. And also there's a very um, emotional response to foods as well. And you want to, I, I'm always very careful about giving advice like this because of emotional triggers. I don't want to set off anyone on an eating disorder or anything like it. I'm really conscious of that. And I've worked with people who have them. And so you've got to find where you're comfortable with. I'm certainly not a proponent of weighing yourself all the time, if at all, if it's necessary. Yeah. But, the, um, but there are some nutritional changes that women can make in menopause that really will help support the body. And even just generally as we old. So for example, we need more protein than ever as an aging population. Yeah. Um, we're looking at about 40 grams um, per meal for a woman um, and I just always say like about 100 grams a day that's like three three to four chicken breasts yeah. I personally struggle to eat that much because I don't like chewing my food <laughs> like I'm grandma status <laughs> I'm yeah. vegetarian so it's very hard to get um, the amount it is, of protein 
It is, but it's not impossible. But often a vegetarian diet will have different ratios. I mean, you're just not going to have the animal proteins that you um, that are loaded in, you know, in the in the amino acids that we need. So, but there's protein in everything you eat. Basically, mm-hmm. it's in your vegetables, it's in your legumes, it's in your grains. Um, it's just that when you eat say quinoa because you want the protein content you need to know that, that it's it's a heavy carbohydrate content yeah right so that's that's its predominant nutrient yeah. and so for most women going into um the sort of like post perimenopause to postmenopause the hierarchy of food to eat it would be like protein a protein source ask yourself every meal where's my protein yeah. and there are and there are valid vegan or vegetarian protein sources like the tempeh the soy um, tofu. I'm like screw my face because I just don't like them. But um, and 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 some vegetarians are pescatarians as well. You know they sometimes eat fish as well, and maybe that's an option. Um, and so where's my protein? And where am I? Where's my um, complex carbs? Like where are my vegetables? Like where's my fiber? Followed by your grains, and then further down the line would be your starches and your. Um, your, pro, your processed foods and you do need um obviously healthy fats as well yes. um, but fats are very calorifically heavy so when, when when i say to people a third of your daily nutrition should be made up of fat that sounds like a lot but it's like th- three thumbs of butter that's it yeah. for the whole day it's nothing I'm, of oil, olive oil. it's not yeah it's not and um and, and and there's usually enough fat in most foods to cover those bases it's not a whole avocado you'll be really shocked if you ate a whole avocado how much like the calorie content of those and so um and so like if you can sort of ha- one of my the first habits i would say to a woman is you know there's two i like to work with one of them is hunger cues like wait till you're hungry and only eat when you're hungry and then wait say 30 minutes or so and just see if it was real hunger or if it was boredom literally that and then and and that one i tie in with also slowing down take at least 20 minutes to eat your food because then you won't overeat you'll get full quicker and the other thing is always ask where's my protein and then if you need to supplement that with a protein shake which i know a lot of women don't love but you know it's an option mm. you know stick that in nice, because nice plant-based um protein shakes that you can have as well that are full of nutrients and you know like if it's to get you enough protein then have it hemp seeds is another um but again a hemp, a hemp seed has a, a huge carbohydrate component as well so just so the the thing with with vegan um, proteins is that they're not a complete amino acid like an animal fat is a complete so you might need to play around to get like something that actually keeps you full and cover and, and gives you enough protein but it's doable definitely doable um, and everyone should eat more plants in their life anyway I'm a, a huge proponent of like we just don't eat enough. We have terrible diets in general. Yeah. And, and I think that um, a really good way to think about protein being important is that there's a couple of things. There's a, a, one of proteins are broken down into amino acids and one of the amino acids in there is called leucine. And leucine actually crosses the blood brain barrier. And some women with like brain fog and feeling like cognitively, like it can really help with, with that specifically a branch chain amino acid which is no calories and it's just you know you can buy powdered versions of that that might help cognitively but proteins 
use more calories to burn them. They are um, satiating. They keep you fuller longer and they help you build lean muscle. Mm. It's, the, it's what we need to build lean muscle. And if we build lean muscle, we're metabolic, me- metabolically more efficient which means we can usually eat more food, yes. right? So protein's like the queen of nutrients to me. And so it's hard. I hear you. I struggle myself. Like there's only so many eggs you can eat. Like, <laughs> and they only have six grams of protein have, in anyway. Every day. <laughs> every day. Yeah but, yeah, but they only have six grams of protein. So that's why a lot of people will add a bit of egg white to the eggs just so that, you know, they get that. That's an easy way yeah. of adding it. In my porridge on the morning, I'll mix in an egg and maybe some egg white and it just makes it like a bit more protein dense. Yeah. So there's trick, tricks and trades you can do. When I, was, when I was weight training, we used to put the protein powder, like make the porridge and then put the protein powder uh, afterwards on the porridge as well, just to try and get it in there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there's loads of different ways. And I mean, you can Google a million different things to do, but like they're two things I would do in a heartbeat. And they're always my two things to go back to when I get a bit wayward. I'll go, okay, back to like either eating more vegetables or focusing on protein. But now I'm such a boring, slow eater that I don't need to practice that one. And that's the whole point of habits, as you know, right? That's why you push them because they should become instinctive and you shouldn't need to think about them. Yeah, and that's that's the goal really um, of of doing hypnosis is you want those habits to become automatic, and when it's automatic, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to stand there and go, "Oh, I've got to eat a salad," or "I've got to eat more protein." It just becomes you just do it. You don't even think about it. And there's and yeah. there's no diet or no short term fix. It's just life. Well, I mean, and that's one of your questions you're going to mention to me is, and then how do you keep it off? Well. Yeah. The problem with diets or trends or being told what to eat or even things like Weight Watchers and Slimming World, they are, they've all got their place in weight loss. But what inevitably happens is women leave and then go, but what now? Yeah. And then they, they're never really given any education with it. And it's usually hard to sustain these things long term. And long term means for the rest of your life, not just for two months, right? Right. And they want that, right? They want that to happen. They want you to go off and then fail and then come back. Yeah. And women want instant gratification because we're bloody impatient, right? But (laughs) this, this, this weight gain didn't happen overnight. So be patient. And I love to tell women that to be patient and to be kind to themselves and non-judgmental and also like get off yourself. Like get over yourself. If you've put a few pounds on, you're still awesome. Why is it such a problem? Like maybe on you set point has changed. That's something else I think that's worth considering. Not just your set point as in your emotional health and your place in the world and your career, but like your weight. Maybe you're not meant to be like, 65 kilos maybe a healthier weight for you is 75 kilos yeah have you ever considered that like yeah exactly as soon as i put it on a couple of kilos i get big boobs i actually hate it my husband likes it (laughs) but you know some women like enjoy like being a bit more voluptuous and stuff and I think I'm so tired of like the propaganda from all the media of these stick thin white insects that parade in in bikinis. And, you know, I mean, I suppose I could fall into the slim white female category myself, but that's just my body. I'm not like trying to pretend I'm not that. Like I'm not saying do this and you'll look like me. I'm like, you do you and you do it well. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I I think there's, 
you know, uh, it'd be good the day that comes where it's just, this is your body shape. And the thing is where I am now, this is my body shape. Now my body is uh, trying to recover. It's trying to be well. And it's, you know, like I had terrible fatigue where I couldn't get off the couch and I couldn't work. And now I'm working. So it's a slow process and I'm slowly getting there and, um, you know, and that's okay. Um, and, it is what it is. And, it, you know, sometimes it went through a process of accepting it. And sometimes I still struggle with that. And then I'm like, you know, who am I worried about this for? You know, like, you know, it, this is me. This is my body. This is what it looks like right now. Uh, you know, do something about it if you can. If you, if you, the, on the days that you can do something, on the days that you can't, you know, uh, what, when do we get to the point when, we stop you're happy that. yeah when, we when stop do you get all all of that garbage you know how many how many times have we heard stories about massive weight loss people who are psychologically damaged and are not happy when they're thin they miss the protective element of where they were and they miss the emotional contentment they felt and so weight loss to me is bigger than just the the pounds or the kilos on the scale it's like just look at everything and see see how you sort of like fit into the world and 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 try and find some contentment see i'm looking at you and saying oh my and the first thing i noticed was oh my god look at her hair it's gorgeous like and <laughs> your skin yeah. and so you know i i like and and that's what we do as women we can support and help each other but to ourselves we're yeah. so detrimental and toxic that it's disgraceful and and i think that the conversation of being down on ourselves is a constant struggle. And I, and I yeah. defy anyone to say that they're completely happy with themselves because yeah. none of us ever are. Uh, but the, the thought monsters that we go through when we look at ourselves and we're disgusted with ourselves, how about we just stop and pause and just try and reframe that yeah. and just go, yeah, I'm really like, look at you, you're gross. And instead of saying that, say, you know, I've got a few pounds to lose, but you know, I just totally rocked it at the gym. I'm awesome. Like just at least pause and acknowledge yeah. what's going on because Reframe it's going it. to serve yeah. you. It's going to serve you no purpose at all to be horrible to yourself or anyone else. Yeah. And look, the other thing was the lack of energy. And I know that was a big thing for me. And you talked about that being a big thing for you. And I understand that a lot of the ladies, that was one of the questions in the, um, poll where everyone voted on was that energy and you know how do we how do we get that energy back you know because mine went like that was like virtually overnight gone it's really a hard question to answer because it's because of the hormones it's because of the fluctuating hormones and and women will have days of fatigue that are crippling, you know, they lose days at work because of it. They, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, it's not just being tired. It's literally dragging themselves across the floor. It's awful. And it's because of the fluctuating hormones. So the simplest answer to sort of help with that is hormone replacement therapy, right? Yeah. That's helps stabilize the hormones. And it's one of the few, it like, I, I won't go deeply into that because it wasn't a question asked, but you know, the bioidentical regulated hormones that your health provider, not naturopaths, because they're not regulated hormones, you must always talk to a healthcare provider that, where it's been tested for safety and efficacy. It's like a microdose of hormones that's like a tenth less than what we had in the birth control pill. And most of us use that without question. Yeah. That can really help stabilize the landscape so that it's not fluctuating so crazy but if that's not an option for you if you choose not to do it like if you if you want to go through perimenopause 
um, without that, that's a valid choice as well. But know that, um, you know, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do to combat the fatigue, except have a little bit of acceptance about it because I don't know about you with with fatigue. I noticed personally, it was it wasn't cyclical. It came and went. It wasn't all the time. It always I always felt like there was like a low level fatigue, but not the dead fatigue. Those they were like three or four days at a time, and a couple of weeks would pass and it would happen again. I started keeping a track of them, and I started looking at like if there was a, an occurrence. And because I wasn't having a cycle, I sort of wrote down other symptoms. Was I depressed? Did I have my migraines? Was I eating worse? All of those different things, and like usually they all followed suit. So. It usually came when I was in a high stress environment and the high stress might have been because my kids are little arseholes and my husband stinks and is horrible. Or it might be because I didn't sleep well that night, right? It can be a number of things. Like I don't just mean like actual stress that's in your face. It can be the stress of not having a like decent recovery. Maybe you've over-exercised. Maybe you need to back off some of the exercise and then just... And so I wrote, um, I would start to do like, a little diary. I know you've said you already do that within your, your group. And then see if there's any other things in, in play. Usually when I'm fatigued like that, I notice that my eating habits completely go. Yeah. And so in situations when I feel like that, the one thing I can control is what goes in my mouth and I'm all over it. Then that's the time when I'm like, I'm going to make sure I have like my gallon of water. I, I am a big hydrator. So I like to have a lot of water maybe stick some electrolytes in as well. I've got some B vitamins in and some C and D just to, as well as the magnesium and stuff just to just like make me feel a little bit better. Yeah. But then like eat, lo eat more plant-based stuff, like, you know, back off like all of the processed stuff, at least try and control that and try not to give yourself a hard time. Like just say to yourself, if, if it's one of those days where you can't do it, well, guess what? Your body's trying to tell you something. And if you yeah. can, if you are able to sort of back off from work, and that's a really bold statement because it's difficult when you're working in an office environment, but if you can work from home and maybe do it in bed, <laughs> like, I mean, if, you, if you're able to back off somewhat or take that to-do list down to one thing, yeah. if the one thing you do is take the kids to school and back, then that's your win for the day. Like, look for those small wins. Um, um, as far as exercise is concerned, it's not happening. So don't try and feel bad about not exercising that day or not walking because you know it's not happening. So why beat yourself up about it, right? So yeah. what I do, and I'm a health and fitness professional. I mean, my job is as a strength coach. And I know in a month, I would lose between eight and 10 days of the training I wanted to do. And it was the most frustrating thing for me. But when I pushed through, it just meant that that fatigue would just never, ever go away. It just lasted longer. So yeah. if I sort of had a level of acceptance about it, it, it really helped me yes. sort of recover quickly. And yeah, I just was also very open with everyone in my household and said, I'm not doing well. I'm really, really tired. Like, make your own tea. Go to the chippy. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if she eats cereal. <laughs> I mean... The, the, there's not a lot you can do as far as, um, you know, I was reading somewhere the other day, someone was saying that seed cycling can help balance your hormones. And I've already told you that that doesn't, that's yeah. not true. Um, but even if you did focus on foods with phytoestrogens in, which is like the tofus and the 
the soybeans and stuff, it's not really going to have an impact on your estrogen levels, but it might give you some support nutritionally. So you could always sort of add, add those in and, um, and yeah. And, and then know too, that it sort of will pass as well, because this is a, the, the fatigue, the overwhelming fatigue is a sure sign of perimenopause. And most of the women I've spoke to in menopause and myself included, that fatigue rarely happens. Oh yeah. That's like it really, <laughs> like, like if I can give glimmers of hope, I will. Yes. And it's the crazy fluctuations that make it worse. I particularly found it bad in the late stages of perimenopause. And you don't know you're in that. I know I'm in it. I know I was in it now looking back because I'm menopausal now. Yeah. But in those late, that last year, fatigue was crippling for me and I sort of had to succumb to it a little bit. I found that um, when I, like, I didn't know it was perimenopause. I thought it was adrenal fatigue. And um, when I got to acceptance of, okay, my life is completely different now to what it was before, you know, I was out doing something nearly every night, dance or weight training or sailing on a Saturday. Um, and then when I got to acceptance of, okay, that's not my life anymore. This is my life now and accepting that and then looking at going, okay, so this is what life is. Um, and then looking at self-care and, you know, okay, it like, I think stress was a big trigger for me that kind of started on that spiral. And then my body was in this constant stress and I couldn't get out of it. So learning those self-care things. And I think as women, we don't do that, do we? We, we put the kids first and the husband and the house and the job and, you know, the housework, you know, we'll go and do the washing. If we're tired, we'll go and do the washing instead of, you know, resting before we're tired and we'll all we'll clean the house. So I think we learn early on to put ourselves last. And then, you know, as we get older, we really can't do that anymore. Well, I couldn't do that anymore. I had to stop and put myself first over everything else. And it's, uh, it's difficult to be in fatigue laying on the couch and then you can see the dust on the floor. <laughs> You want to get up and you want to mop and vacuum, but you can't. Yeah. So um, you've just got to let that go and accept this is life. This is how life is. And when I got to that acceptance stage and um, saying, okay, well, this is life, um, so things might not ever change. Something switches in your mind um, when you get there. It becomes instead of this fight every day for things to be different, you uh, rather than that you you accept that so then you go down a different path and it feels different in your body when you do accept that's where you are at you've completely nailed it that's exactly right and then i think that that's that shift that happens i always like to say that shift happens because it does so when that shift happens i think that when women go into postmenopause and they've experienced all of that and they've experienced that shift in perspective and mindset and attitude and they're losing all of the small stuff that used to bother us like the dust yeah. on the on the counterpiece or whatever i think that when the symptoms start to die down i think that's why women see there's a u-curve and we start to come out the top of that u-curve because we put things into place and that's why i think that like it's really, it's really hard when you're in the deep mire to, to be positive. But I think that, you know, there's a place we're going to end up that is, and is amazing. And I meet these amazing women that are there now and we have to learn from them. And this is our time now to share these type of stories so that 
One, you don't feel crazy. Two, you know that what you're going through is pretty normal because we're all going through it and that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we're going to rock the world when we get there. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things, isn't it, really? Like um, everything is going to be okay. My friend and I, we say that, you know, when we're in in, in a despair days, um, you know, a friend of mine is male and he's had an illness and we kind of got ill at the same time. So um, I've been lucky to have somebody there that's was going through something like I said, you're going through perimenopause. <laughs> and uh, like, but he's got um, an, another issue. But, um, you know, we say well, that, that shared, a shared, ex, a shared experience is, is yeah. a problem half, isn't it? Yeah. That's so my community. Yeah, your community is great because, you know, women are posting in there and I'm going to share the links with that um, shortly, but women post in there and they're talking about what they're going through. And like, if I had known this three years ago, I would have known, oh, well, this is what it is, you know, rather than spend uh, a year and a half um, going down one path, thinking it was something completely different. Like I didn't, like you, I never even heard of the word perimenopause before. Um, So, um, I feel like, you know, that shared experience does help when somebody else understands what you're going through too. And that's why I wanted to get you on here as well. And um, hopefully other people experiencing what we've experienced goes and joins the group that it will help them too. And, and, and the, what the community shows me is like, there's often a repetition of questions. Like I've had, it's now two years old and I see the same questions being asked all the time, which is means you know that we're all going through something very similar that's a good thing I see that and the women that have been in there the longest are now like the ones running the show I'm hardly ever in there um, just from other commitments but there's a really strong team of intelligent women that I love in there and they're always giving like really great advice and it's just anecdotal or researched advice we're not like claiming to be doctors we never say you have to go on this medication or you have that's not what this is all about it's just it's those shared experiences and uh and yeah and I think that um for me one of the things like like you say was talking about it just opened my eyes and just was like oh my gosh why we're not quiet women anymore though let's face it we're a different breed of women and so you know, we're just advocating for ourselves and we just all have to do it because the next generation that comes along shouldn't be going through this. Yeah, and I think now that we've got the internet and there's a forum now, there's a, there's a place or a way that we can actually all talk to each other where before it was probably you would meet up and have a, a, a cuppa with your girlfriend and then maybe it was never kind of discussed. Um, I don't think my mother ever talked about going through menopause and I asked them... Um, my mum and my sister about it. Otherwise, it's not really discussed. Um, it's, you know, not like they're hiding anything, but it's not a topic. Um, so when it becomes not a topic, um, then, you know, it's not just menopause, but, you know, it can be depression or weight or anything. When we are in our heads about it, um, it can become this huge thing. Um, and you can maybe not see a way out because you're in your head having these groups and, and having these conversations helps that come out of your head and um, out there rather than in here. And that really helps you come to the acceptance. Oh, well, okay. Now I know what this is. That really helps you accept that. And then, then you can do what, what you can do and then just leave the rest. 
And it's interesting because I think, you know, from a historical perspective, women have typically been ignored in the medical community and in literature. And, um, and so the conversation, you know, never ever took place about menopause, like you were saying. And it was interesting. I was reading an article in the, the Guardian the other day, and I just got the numbers here. It was hilarious. So it was just saying in, um, in 1958, um, some physicians ran a study Oh, no, it was, um, yes, it was 19, in the early 60s. And they noticed that women who were in menopause had lower levels of um, estrogen and they were at a higher risk of heart disease, right? So they knew that in the 60s. Mm. So they started a study to test out effective preventative treatment, which is awesome, right? Except the study enrolled 8,341 8, men and no women. Oh. Right. And that's just typical of what's happened in women's health throughout the ages. Now it's changing now. That's ridiculous. I know it's crazy. It's because we like, that's typically American. I'm assuming it's like that or the rest of the world. That was a US study. But like the, even, even at the high level of the medical institutions now, it's still old white men running the show. Yeah. I, don't, I don't believe they literally have our best interests at heart i mean if we have a problem like with our like anything to do with our reproductive system they whip it out they give men a pill they find a solution for men i mean it's just yeah. the way it's gone and even down to like education in our schools like in our schools they talk about puberty and pregnancy and it's not even mentioned about um about menopause, actually in the UK, it's going to be now included in textbooks. It's going to be very simplified, but it's going to be part of the conversation. And so I think that if we broaden, we do this from a grassroots level, we get the conversation going, we have our daughters talking about it. My sons are like menopause experts. Their wives, are, I think they'll get married. Well, you know, they'll have, they'll have partners in my boys that know what's going to happen because we've been open about it. So yeah. it's, a, it's a snowball effect. I think it's even some, you know, uh, it's come a long way, but it's so far to go, like even periods. Um, and like I raised two boys as well. So they, you know, wouldn't have a problem going to the supermarket and going and buying pads or tampons and um, understand that, you know, there's a cycle here and when to buy the chocolate and when to back away slowly out of the room, you know, so they get that. And, uh, you know, times, earlier times, you know, men didn't understand that. So, you know, I think they're getting there. But I think, like you said, we have to drive that. So with that in mind, if somebody's struggling um, and really struggling with this, what would you suggest that they do? Where can they go and find help? Well, I, in the group that you're going to post, I have a list of resources. There isn't many for um, Australia in the, the Southern Hemisphere, but essentially it's the same thing. The same drugs are available. You've got a couple of different alternatives there if people went down that route. But there's, I, I write on my, on my website about menopause. There's a couple of great books out there. So in my Facebook group, I have a list of resources where I list books that I think are worth reading, where I... Um, post websites, links to places like the North American Menopause Society, which has got great resources. The British Menopause Society has great resources. And so, and there's podcasts out there. I've interviewed a bunch of um, experts in the area as well. So I, 
the information's out there. You shouldn't have to dig as hard now. I think the UK are way ahead of this. They've got like books and TV shows and everything going on about it. So it's actually great. And I think it'll just start to filter around everywhere else. Um, but there's a decent resource list out there. Um, but that's a great place to start. Just go over to there because I've tried to sort of condense everything into one place. Yeah, that sounds good. So I just want to thank you so much for giving us your time today. I've really loved having you on and I would love to have you back in the future. I'm sure after people listen to this, they may think of other questions that they have. So um, if they do, I want them to, if you think of any questions, just comment below and I will pass them on to Amanda and then um, or, you know, get you on to uh, reply. But also it'd be good to get you back in the future and, um, you know, there might be a particular part of menopause or perimenopause that, um, you know, comes out of all those questions that we can answer. So, um, you know, comment below if you want Amanda back. Um, but also if you would like to check out what Amanda does and connect with her personally, um, you can go to her website, which is www.fitnchips, so fitnchips.com or at Facebook um, groups, menopausing so hard, and uh, you will love the image <laughs> on the top of that um, group and on your website. I just love that. I laughed when I saw it. Um, I think it's brilliant. Uh, so the links to those will be below as well. So that menopausing so hard uh, group is the one that we've been talking about um, where there's other women in there experiencing what you are um, so you can connect with those and also have all those resources that Amanda's been talking about. So, um, and you've got a book coming up. So definitely would love to get you um, on and, um, you know, talking about that book as well once you've got it ready. Do you know when you'll have that ready? Uh, it's due to be published in fall. So I don't know if it'll be available there, definitely North America and, and the UK. I'm, I can I'll let you know. Um, in the group, there's a bunch of... Um, you lot from the south southern hemisphere in there because they all post at crazy times so um you might be able to find someone that knows the system a little bit better over there as well that might be helpful to you um and the other thing um is um that, that i often get questions on and we didn't touch on today is i mean my background is a strength coach and um, a nutrition coach that's where i i come from and there's a, we have a lot of research to show the benefits of resistance training and strength training post-menopause. And so if anyone wants to ever like talk, and that's really going to be one of the focuses of my book. Like yeah. It's going to have like work, workouts and resistance for the ultimate beginner. But that's a really interesting conversation. And so that's something that women can ask about at another time as well. Oh, that's great. I mean, I'm a big advocate for strength training and um, weight training. I, um, that's what I was doing before all this happened. And I, I love weight training and you feel so strong and you feel like you can do anything. So, um, uh, and you know, there's lots of research out there saying how good that is for you. It's the only thing that can reverse osteoporosis and stuff like that. So, um, and you know, like to be strong and stay strong up until, you know, like women in their 85, 90 are doing it. So, at any age, you can start. And I think I started strength training um, early 40s um, and absolutely loved it. So um, definitely check out um, yeah. what Amanda has for that. So I like to end each segment with some um, funny questions. So just a little bit off topic. Uh, are you keen? Yes, I'm keen. All right. My favourite question is, what is your favourite swear word? Oh, 
Fuck. Uh, it is. Fuck. But I often say, I often say feck. Yeah. Because it's just softer and I can say it without having to bleep it out. But I tend not to bleep my stuff out anyway. And somebody said to me the other day, I can't follow you anymore because of your profanities. And I was like, fine, you know, I'm not for everyone. Fuck off. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm not for everyone. But literally, I was like, are you kidding me? It's the only vice I have left. I'm so good. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't sleep around. I eat well. I exercise. Let me swear, please. <laughs> Actually, swearing is probably a good vice because, you know, I say that too. Oh, I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke. You know, yeah. I don't go out and, um, you know. Party hard, yeah. Yeah. So let me have my swearing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't do it very often. I use it. I use it appropriately. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, celebrity crush. Who would you? Oh, David Beckham. David oh. Beckham. Yeah. If if anyone's followed me for any, like I used to have a David Beckham Friday post on my personal. But you know what? I've started to turn off him a little bit because I think he's been getting the Botox. But I'd still, if he walked in, that's I still would. Yeah. yeah. David Beckham. He, he's your pass, is he? Mine's yeah. Lenny Kravitz. I don't know why. Um, yeah, Lenny would be up there too. He's the dirty, the dirty guy. You yeah, would he's do. the naughty. He's the naughty guy. <laughs> on his on his Portuguese ranch, his Brazilian ranch. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll swap then. I'll do I'll do Lenny so we can fight <laughs> over him. <laughs> um, and if you had one super power, what would it be? Yeah, to fly. I've always said that. Yeah. That's a good one because yeah. you could go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, just I think mine would be like click your fingers and be in another country. Hmm. I'd fly there. I'd see you there. I just think the world from that perspective would be awesome, you know. Yeah, you could go anywhere. Okay, so all the links we've mentioned in the episode today are down below and I want to thank everybody for listening and supporting this channel and um, if you want to like and subscribe if you want, if, or you can take your risk and stumble across us another time, but really like and subscribe, that'd be great. So I want to, I will see you next time and I want you to go now and be awesome. Thanks again for uh, joining us, Amanda. Bye, everyone. Bye.